One amazing aspect of creation is mimicry, where plants and animals imitate their environment or other organisms. But how can one species look like another or change its color to match its surroundings? It's got to be creation. Stay tuned. All of these responses are too complex to happen one gene at a time. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. You lean on a tree and a piece of the bark scurries away. You touch a leaf and it takes flight. No, you're not seeing things. You're just witnessing something in nature called mimicry. Mimicry, especially in the insect world, is an important feature in certain organisms which help them survive. But could evolution have caused such unique protection? Please join us for the next 15 minutes as we take a look at some copycats of creation. We'll also discover how duplicating nature has benefited mankind. ICR biologist Dr. Ken Cummings says mimicry is a unique kind of adaptation. We find that organisms, plants and animals, have the ability to give a wide response of physiological activity to uh, resemble either their surroundings or other plants or other animals uh, in unique ways that either protect them or alarm potential predators. As such, then, mimicry is a form of change that allows organisms to survive in an environment in which they might be otherwise depleted. But how is mimicry possible? One would have to say, well, how did this all come to be? And and the evolutionist would say, well, these organisms have evolved to mimic another species that has some sort of protection or some sort of alarm response to their potential predators. When in reality, our perspective as creationists is that no, in fact, this appearance has to be pre-programmed. It's too complex to have evolved by little steps over a long period of time because of the number of different attributes that have to be changed, all in harmony with one another. Dr. Lane Lester, professor of biology at Emanuel College in Franklin Springs, Georgia, agrees, and he cites an interesting illustration of complex mimicry. The most dramatic example is found in Africa where there is a single species of butterfly it's not uh, bad-tasting itself to birds and monkeys, another uh, species that eats them, but it resembles a bad-tasting species that are there. And what's interesting about this particular mimic is that it looks different depending on which bad-tasting species it lives in the same region with. And the, the evolutionist explanation of such a thing would be that uh, as this uh, mimic moved into an area then mutation and natural selection would produce the genetic change that would enable it to resemble the, the distasteful species. But evolution is not the way it happened. Within a creation model, however, we would see this simply as God providing this species with the genetic variability, the genetic capacity to change through natural selection, which is part of the creation model too, Changed through natural selection such that the genes that made it resemble the distasteful species in its neighborhood would increase in uh, frequency in the population so that this uh, change would be seen. It's really not any kind of evolution at all. Uh, it's just a sorting out, you might say, 
of the genetic variability that's already there to make the organism as fit as possible in the environment it finds itself. Another interesting detail of creation regarding this African butterfly is the fact that not all in the species are protected by mimicry. Its scientific name is Papilio dardanus, but it's a swallowtail butterfly. The males all look like an ordinary swallowtail butterfly, but it's the females which have this amazing ability, you might say, to resemble whatever bad-tasting species it lives near. One common butterfly mimicry is the viceroy masquerading as a monarch. Dr. Lester. The monarch butterfly tastes bad to birds. The viceroy butterfly looks very much like the monarch. And for a long time it was thought that the birds were not eating the viceroy simply because it looked like the bad-tasting monarch. But more recent research has shown that actually both species taste bad. And so here what you have... You have a situation where by both of them resembling each other and by both tasting bad, they both contain visual signals that warn predators to stay away. And then there's a fear factor type of mimicry. Another type of mimicry that's very different is what we see in many insects that sting, uh, like wasps and bees. How often we see some kinds of patterns of yellow and black in these species, and so we learn to associate those colors with danger and uh, to leave these insects alone. A type of mimicry that most of us are familiar with is that of camouflage. Jeremiah 13.23 indicates that a leopard can't change its spots. However, God has given certain animals the ability to change their skin color to mimic their environments. Dr. Cumming. For instance, flounders have a capability of changing the shades and coloration of their skin in order to blend in with the sand bottoms of streams or coastal waters. And in doing so, they can even bury themselves in the sand and that way be totally unsuspected by a potential predator or be not noticed by a potential prey that they want to feed on and be hidden, so to speak. In like manner, the chameleons and some reptiles have the capacity to be able to change their skin coloration, sometimes very rapidly in the sense of changing the color uh, instantaneously from one uh, shade to another shade and actually matching the environmental background uh, very closely so as to have a protective feature. So what's the special ingredient that allows these animals to change color? That's usually done by hormonal interaction in the skin in terms of the pigment cells where they there's red, black, orange and the like pigment cells that can be inflated or decreased in terms of bleaching out or darkening up or enhancing different colors and it's all done uh, moderated by the central nervous system and actually affected by the uh, reflex system in the peripheral nervous system. Still, other organisms are camouflaged permanently. And then there are mimicry where the larval insect might look like a moss or like a lichen or like uh, a leaf. Uh, And this kind of camouflage is unusual in that it resembles very much the a real thing, and yet it's a development of the skin of the of the organism itself to have an appearance so that it won't be preyed upon. That's our way of thinking about it, our 
human way of thinking about it. But animals aren't the only living things that get to pretend they're something else. The plants, in a like manner, have the capability of producing products such as the, the flower that would attract another insect of similar appearance. So the a bee orchid, for example, it looks like a bee. It has the shape and appearance of a bee, and that would attract the bee to come and fertilize the the flower and you know, allow the seeds to develop. Mimicry is not just for plants and animals. People are also taking advantage of what God has created by scientifically using nature. This is known as biomimicry. As Dr. Donald DeYoung, professor of physics at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana, explains, inventors, scientists, and engineers search continually for new ideas. They seek useful products and solutions to current problems. In recent years, a treasure house of useful ideas has been found from one special source. Where are the experts looking? At the animals and plants and objects in nature. Here they find ready-made optical devices, medical drugs, and even accurate clocks. It appears that the Creator has embedded countless practical devices in nature. He intends for us to discover these ideas and apply them in useful ways. The name for this exploring of nature is called biomimicry, or copying nature. One insect researchers are looking at for ideas is the bombardier beetle. The beetle produces repeated chemical explosions in a combustion chamber within its body. This then results in a pulse jet of boiling fluid which can be fired outward from a nozzle in almost any direction. Frogs, spiders, ants, and birds quickly learn to keep their distance from the beetle. These bombardier beetles may help us solve a serious technical problem. Aircraft, gas turbine engines sometimes quit during flight and must be reignited. When this flight emergency occurs, an electrode fires and sends a stream of charged particles into the engine to restart it. It's sometimes successful and at other times fails. The beetle's combustion process is very efficient, and it may be copied in aircraft engines. The military also has a vested interest in biomimicry. One creature that may help improve camouflage techniques is the cuttlefish. It has the uh, distinction of having the fastest color change of any creature, much faster than a chameleon or such. And uh, what we have found is that uh, within the um, skin of the cuttlefish, there are small um, sacs which uh, have dyes in them. And this cuttlefish can instantly change the size of these small sacs. They're elastic. It can expand them to make certain colors show up or contract them to make colors go away. So if the cuttlefish swims beneath seaweed, it looks exactly green and you can't find it. Well, of course, uh, color changes like this uh, are of real interest to the military because they are faced with camouflage-type uh, challenges. And so they're studying the cuttlefish and the kind of chemistry it uses in its cells and are having some success coming up with camouflage coverings, whether it's uniforms for soldiers or for coatings for vehicles, which do not permanently take on a particular camouflage color, but are adjustable and changeable depending on their environment. And there are many other ways that man uses nature to his advantage. The list of useful devices in nature goes on without limit. 
The many applications are a practical gift to us from the Creator. Each new discovery shows God's design, His purpose, and His love for us. So we can see that all of nature acknowledges creation, not evolution. Dr. Cumming. So one has to say, once again, intricate, infinite information has to be put into the uh, knowledge system of the individual organisms to allow them to be what they're designed to be as God has created them. A marvelous example of God's power and his knowledge and wisdom that he's able to do this and carry it out. And we think of it as everyday activity and we talk about it, but when you meditate on it, it's a tremendous way of thinking about God's goodness and greatness and and his all-powerful nature. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.